Hi, I'm oh. Kyla. I'm Kirsten. And I'm Josh. <laughs> oh, and this is the weird and suspicious. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I got into character too much. Uh, <laughs> that's weird. <laughs> that's suspicious. <laughs> Bum, 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 bum. <laughs> Ooh, reported the first alien abduction on the night of September 19th, 1961. Barney and Betty Hill were driving on a rural highway to their home in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. On an isolated road through the White Mountains, the couple later remembered a bright object that appeared to be following their car. <laughs> What is that? Upright object following their car? Probably UFO. Probably. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, continue, Kyla. (laughs) They arrived home around 5 a.m., unable to account for two hours of their night prior to arriving home, but with the feeling that something terrible had happened to them. Well, that was already a page. After a bit of time for them to recover from this confusion, they started to remember some events that happened. Uh, and I feel like that's kind of like when people have a blackout. Like, when they when they blackout drink, like, the next day, you s- sometimes start to remember things. Or, like, after you start, like, thinking about details of the night, you start remembering Yeah, that. yeah. Unless you were drugged, but yeah. Yeah, but that's, like... If you never remember them. That's if you don't remember it, yeah. Yeah. Um, so what Kyla's saying is every time you black out... Every time Kyla drinks. It's because you're drinking, it's actually just aliens. hmm That's what yes. I just got from that. Yep. Okay. Correct. This was the first publicized claim of an alien abduction. This couple told their story to their psychiatrist... Right, like, they, that was the first person that they told it to. And then they wrote a book. And then after that, there was a movie. And there's around 2.5% of the population that claims to have been abducted by aliens. I know two people. I know one. I know zero. I also know, like, zero people, though, so. So there is something about this that I'm just like, ugh, that's kind of annoying. Um, it's saying that, like, self-reported abductees um, are, like, a part of a cultural myth that can be directly traced to the couple, Barney and Betty White, who story only, like, they only came up with their stories after there were TV plot lines in the late 1950s about flying saucers and people getting abducted by aliens. Hmm. So it's like, is it a mental thing? But, well, I mean, they, they did studies on these people, like, just to see, like, if they are, like, mentally sane. And, I mean, there's no proof that any of these people have any type of mental disorder. So, like, they're not they're not making it up or lying, technically, from what they can tell. Like, these people actually think that this happened to them, or clearly it did happen to them, you know what I mean? But people didn't start talking about it until they showed stuff in movies. So maybe, like, before they're like, oh, like, it's a dream or that's just too weird to have happened so 
you know, they're not going to talk about it. And maybe they just decided that they would talk about it after they had seen stuff in a movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, my thoughts also just like, if you like something happens and it's kind of weird, like if you don't know anyone else that's had that experience, you'll just be like, oh, maybe I'm just kind of losing it. Tuck it away in a pocket. Put it right. in it, Come back to it another day. And then someone else is like, yo, man, that same thing, like this and this happened to me. And you're like, oh, my gosh. Same Z's. Um, maybe it just like everyone that it had happened to thought they were just crazy, and then the movies and TVs came out and were like alien abductions, and they're like, you know what? I I'm gonna unpin this and uh, I'm gonna talk about it now. Yeah, like, and yeah, I feel man, like you're right. You're right. <laughs> you could, if especially like if you feel fine afterwards, like you could just think, oh, that was a really weird fucking dream. I don't remember going to bed last night, but right, because a lot of these people also think that some type of like experiment was performed on them so i'm assuming that they're thinking that they wouldn't be feeling fine the next day you know oh true true but it could just be like man i slept rough last night (laughs) it was a rough night me every time or what if like aliens weren't allowing people to remember anything until then i feel like that could be a possibility what if like after they had the movies and stuff like that the, the aliens were like well Stop it. Apparently they know some shit, so then they, they just, like, gave up on trying to keep them from remembering. Or the government oh. <laughs> the signed government. a treaty. Or a lot of times people think, uh, like, aliens might not have, like, the actual, like, stereotypical physical form. And so maybe it's just, like, what you think aliens would look like, and that was just, like, different to everyone. Like, maybe it was, like, you know, back in the day when Zeus was doing a bunch of shit and was just, like, because that's what they thought it was. What if people had weird experiences and they didn't know what it was and they had nothing to put it to, and they're just like, that was really weird and suspicious and then later on someone's like these are aliens this is what they do and then they're like oh that was my experience so i guess it was aliens well yeah and also i mean think about it like i feel like at that period in time like if especially if a woman were to say something like that happened to them they'd be like she's crazy hysteria. or hysteria yeah, yeah. The or like <laughs> Exactly. The night was cloudless and starry. The hills stopped for coffee at a roadside diner. I'm struggling to speak words. Around 10 p.m. and figured they get home around 3 a.m. Who the fuck? Because, like, why are they... They're like, we're going to go to a diner at 10 p.m. and not oh. get home until 3 a.m.? I've done it. I also have done that. Okay. A diner or a place with alcohol? Uh, definitely when I was in high school, like, a Qdoba until they close and then my friend's car. Um, I've done it as an adult. I definitely have, like, chilled at Denny's for way too fucking long in the middle of the night. Like, at some, I know you don't understand this. At some point, people do like to stop drinking. They get to a point that they (laughs) like and they stay there. And so it's nice just to, like, you know, calm down in a diner with some food, you know? (laughs) Thank you for invalidating me. You're welcome. Um, (laughs) Always. We're always here for you, bud. (laughs) Thank you so much. The couple recounted in The Interrupted Journey 
1966 book about their experience, co-written with John G. Fuller. They got back in the car and continued home. Sometime later, Betty looked out the passenger side window and saw a bright object following them. At her insistence, Barney parked the car, got out, and looked at the object through a pair of binoculars. The object was a spacecraft with a set of double windows through which Barney could clearly see, quote-unquote, at least half a dozen living beings. They were wearing uniforms and looking straight at him. Oh, these ones had clothes on? In my head, I just imagined them to all be naked. Yeah, I think they're naked and they don't have genitals. Yeah. That's how I imagine Maybe it. they just have, like, like skin-tight clothes, so you never know. No, they all look like Mewtwo. Oh, okay. Fair, I don't know fair. What that is, but okay. Yes. Barney was terrified. He raced back to the car and pulled off the highway onto a winding side road to lose the craft. The couple heard a series of loud beeps and then each felt an odd, tingling drowsiness come over them, followed by a sort of haze. When they next regained consciousness, they were 35 miles down the highway. Groggily, they continued home. At least there were only a few oddities. Both of them were a little rumpled. Barney's shoes were scuffed and his binocular strap had broken. He had a feeling that something had happened to his body and went into the bathroom to examine himself. They tried to shake it off, but a few days later, Betty began having nightmares. Barney told a friend that his feeling was one of a person who saw something he doesn't want to remember. Two years later, the couple visited a psychiatrist. There, under hypnosis, they both recounted what had occurred that night. Short, gray aliens with big, wraparound eyes took them aboard their saucer-shaped craft and probed them with needles. The psychiatrist didn't believe their story, though he could see that the hills did. Barney, in particular, was terrified at the recollection. Betty was more comfortable sharing the story with friends and others, even giving lectures about the experience at schools and to local groups. Journalists started sniffing around, and the Hills agreed to the book deal. In 1975, NBC aired The UFO Incident. That was the name of it. A made-for-TV movie based on the Hills. In the two years after it aired, reports of alien abductions, a thing never recorded in human history before Betty and Barney Hill, rose 2,500%. So just, like, a shit ton more people started reporting things after that? Yeah. So kind of, I guess, what we were talking about earlier, like, if one person says something, then other people are, like, more willing to come out with their stories, or they're just like, I want to be a part of this. Mm -hmm. The Hills were unlike many of the thousands of abductees to follow, in that they remembered or believed they remembered the experience. Many people who believe they are abducted don't actually recall the particulars. They just have a strong sense that it happened. One of them was, or this is a quote, about a month ago, I got out of the shower and looked at my back and saw bruises. Um, okay. I don't think that's unusual. (laughs) I have random bruises. I was just about to say, a pleasant 22-year-old New Hampshire man named Tom told psychologist Susie Clancy. Damn, Tom's been out living, uh... An easy life, not fucking waking up with bruises <laughs> randomly. And then and then he was like, then I talked to my mom about it, and she looked at my back and said, well, maybe aliens. Are you serious? <laughs> Are you serious? I You know what? That it. sounds like me. <laughs> like, uh, like she, was just, she was just joking around with them. She's like, oh, maybe aliens. Ha, ha, ha. And then he was like, <laughs> it had to be aliens. The, the aliens only option. got me. 
So psychological profiles of abductees differ in some important and consistent ways. Abductees are most likely to dissociate. They're more prone to experiencing altered states of consciousness, such as out-of-body experiences or lost time. They're more fantasy-prone. These things in combination make a person more susceptible to false memories, like recollections that feel completely real to the believer but are inaccurate. Memory is imperfect, and all of us have distorted memories to some extent. People who believe they were kidnapped by aliens just tend to be particularly susceptible to them. There's a few key facts that um, this story says stands out about uh, the Hills, which is the last name. At the moment when they saw the lights, they later understood to be an alien spacecraft. Barney and Betty were two thoroughly exhausted people. Barney had a 120-mile daily commute to his job in Boston. Are you serious? Disgusting. Never I would rather life. have no eyeballs. Um, it's like a two-hour drive at the very fucking least. That seems a little bit. Is that round trip or is that one way? Um, Round trip is still bad, but it's not quite as It says bad. daily commute. I feel so like it's even an hour. Trip. It probably is. Apparently that aggravated his ulcer. I didn't know he had an ulcer. Um, okay then. He did not. <laughs> not until he was abducted. And the aliens took it out for him and ever so generously did and not charge him. happily ever after. Yes. The end. Betty was a children's welfare worker for the state of New Hampshire tasked with managing as many as 120 cases at a day. Days before the alleged sighting, they left home at 4 a.m. for what was supposed to be a much-needed week's vacation in Montreal. They ran out of cash. This was in the days before ATMs. Oh, right, right, right. So had to head home early, leaving Montreal late and driving through the night to make the most of their time and budget. Upon arriving home, the Hills were most disturbed that they couldn't account for about two hours of the journey. They feel of lost time, especially when traveling, is one of the primary signs that a person is too tired to drive, which clearly makes sense. Sleep-deprived people are especially susceptible to false memory formation. So, basically, they're trying to say that these people's story is incorrect. There were, in fact, lights in the city. They're all piece of shit liars. Every single one of them. Same There were, in mm-hmm. fact, lights in the sky that night, exactly where the hills noticed them. There were Jupiter and Saturn. Oh my gosh, did they really prove this? Both of which were particularly bright that evening and in locations matching the hills' description. I'm sure astrologists can prove that, because astrologists are all about the stars. I know, but that makes me just not believe any of their story. And then it says another salient factor is that Betty was already an ardent believer in UFOs and a fan of science fiction. As soon as they got home, she called her sister, who also believes in aliens, to report that they saw a flying saucer. Once her nightmare started, she became convinced that the couple had, in fact, been abducted by aliens, a conclusion Barney was initially reluctant to accept. The technique this couple's psychiatrist used to, quote-unquote, recover their abduction memories is also suspect. Hypnosis doesn't automatically extract the truth from people, nor does it create false memories in itself. 
It's a state in which the hypnotized person is relaxed, responsive, and unusually susceptible to suggestions. Mm -hmm. So Barney was initially wary of his wife's alien story, but by the time they saw the psychiatrist, he'd been listening to her tell it for two years. The description he gave under hypnosis of a bug-eyed alien now, which is like the cultural standard for what an alien looks like, closely resembled an alien character that it appeared two weeks earlier in uh, a popular sci-fi TV show called The Outer Limits. So I don't even know if I really believe this. Interesting. Um, I don't know either. Because it's interesting that this is considered like the first account of them, though. Because I mean, like you said that she already believed in right. aliens. Like, it was it the first U.S. Yeah. account, maybe. Or it might have been like the first one where like it is like the main bug-eyed aliens thing that people think of nowadays. Hmm. I mean, it was just the first reported one. In the U.S.? Yeah. I'm not convinced they're lying. I'm not convinced that they're telling the truth, though. I'm like, something happened, but what was it? Right. Yeah. Like, something happened, but I don't... I'm not like, sure it could have been that, but it's more so just kind of, like, the like hearing the entire situation that was going on um, and, like, how people process things. How can it's, aliens it's aren't just... kidnapping people and just get high as fuck, like, trying out our weed? They're like, bring your bowl. Why do they do that? They're so much more advanced than us. They have so much more advanced weed. Yeah. You know, they have alien weed. That actually (laughs) might be a thing. Like, no, it has to because if, technically speaking, like, they are already more advanced in technology and that's why they can travel at like, lightning speed with some of the shit like it's all plant-based and if they're not like from an organic like whatever planet what if like their plant doesn't have pot what if it has something other exactly than they probably have better drugs okay well they have different drugs different so drugs not better. necessarily better they no they're better if they weren't they would steal ours okay That's maybe good. they do exactly they're kidnapping people and trying their weed no, nobody would be able to grow weed because we would have the, all of all of the, the aliens would take all of the weed in in places where people were growing weed. Like, people don't grow weed outside, like in that big of an amount. Sure, they do. Drug cartels do. There's no fucking way. A lot of that shit's indoors. Like drug cartels aren't gonna be like. I know someone that grew weed outside and it went missing. Someone cut it down. Also known as aliens. (laughs) (laughs) I did mine on dilative pass. Nice, nice. Dilative. Diets? Love. Diet love. love. That's love. That's love. Diet love. I'm not Russian. Diatlo. Oh, okay. Diet I love, keep Diablo. all of those. Yeah, I'm going to need all of those examples in to listen to later to decide which one I think is correct. So make sure you keep all those in there. I'm pretty sure Diatlov is the correct way, or if not, the closest way that Americans can get to it from what I've heard. Because I've listened to so many podcasts on it, and that seems to be the fan favorite. 
So, in 1959 is when this happened, and this incident is named after the leader of the group. I think his name was Edgar Dialov. I would have liked it if it was just like, I think his name was Edgar, nicknamed Dialov. Well, I use last names because some of them have the same first name, so I just go by last names for all of them. Um, I mean, a lot of people, too. Like, There's a couple of my friends that we call by their last name. I feel like that's not super uncommon. Um, so, in February 2nd of 1959, in the northern Ural Mountains, in Kolasaki? Saka? I don't know. Some podcasts say it's in, um, Siberia, so we'll just say that. I don't know. Sounds right to me. It's cold. There's snow. So, in January of... 1959 is when they started their trek up this mountain and it was 10 hikers who were all very experienced this is not their first rodeo they've done it before um the leader igor maybe it wasn't edgar maybe it's igor dialatov yeah igor um he was 23 years old so they're young they're in their 20s early 20s but they this is something that they've all done multiple times there are seven men and two women the goal is to reach mount or torton many say that it translates to don't go there but i've heard that's not really what it means i heard that's just like you know when words don't translate well to english mm-hmm. and the best you can come up with is like not even like a great explanation i think that's kind of what happened so like the word for it and it's like worst way to explain it means don't go there, but it doesn't really mean that. It doesn't have a direct translation. Yeah. And the local tribe, the Monsi tribe, is the one who they've named the mountain. Um, and it is a 350 kilometer ski trip. I was going to do the conversion and then I forgot. And that is like a little bit over 200 miles. Holy. Damn. So they're not just like taking a 200 mile fucking hike up a mountain for fun. That's only something that people that are psychopaths they're doing do. Oh, that too, that too. Um, (laughs) So Yuri Yordan was the only one who has survived. He got ill and he stayed in the last place that they were all seen alive, and it was a little village. And he remembers a conversation between um, Dalatov and a member of the village. And the villager was warning him about something. And he thinks that it was like that he was warning them not to go on this like ski hike, trek, whatever you want to call it. Um, And they all kept journals and they all had their own cameras and they took a lot of pictures. And last journal entry for all of theirs that was released was all happy didn't say anything bad they're just like it's cold it the day was like this like usually hikers that's what they do in their journals i don't know if anyone's like ever like looked at them but they're just like we walked this many steps today this was the temperature this is what i ate this is what i wore i don't know why but they just document all that kind of shit Uh, just in case they die and they even had their own newspaper and they were on a very specific trail that the Monsi tribe had made. I don't know if it was for them, but it was for hiking specifically. So on February 1st, they decided to set up camp at the bottom of a mountain slope on Dead Mountain, which was oh. the name of it. And a slope, I guess, isn't the ideal place to set up camp. And I guess it's like a little weird for experienced hikers to do. 
but the way that they looked at it is the they're in a place that wasn't common for avalanches so they weren't too worried about it and it was like yes it was going to be cold because the slopes is where usually the coldest weather like um settles so they would either have to go back and hike up and they decided the they to came, stay there or go hike up a little bit more well, it was, it was starting to get night, and it's either to go backwards and... Oh, like, yeah. you think they would have mapped that out better. I think they ended up being... Like, they made they more ground than they expected idiots. to. That's when and you stop there wasn't early. a lot of avalanches, so they're like, well, we should be fine for a night. And I think that's why they set up there. Yeah, but, like, if you get done, um, like, if you get to where you expected at, like, noon or something like I'd keep you, going. I would keep going yeah. Yeah, like that really ah, might as well get it done and then like we don't have to because like what yeah, if it's bad weather one day yeah. or something and you get behind yeah yeah I agree on February 12th they were supposed to make contact back with Yuri Yudin the guy that was sick and stayed behind and that was the plan and they didn't make contact with him so he started getting a little worried and then by February 20th Eight days later, friends and family and everyone started to get a little more nervous. And on February 26th, the camp was finally found. The camp and some of the people... It was found by some volunteers and even the military was looking for these people at this point. The first thing that they found was their tents shredded from the inside out. So they did not calmly leave the tents. They found footprints in different directions of the people running away from the tent. Only none of them had... Only one of them had shoes on. And he didn't even... They, I don't know if it was a he or she, but they only had one shoe on. Everyone else was shoeless. Um, I don't know. And that night, they suspect that they ran out of the tent would have been negative 24 at the point that they think they would have ran out. Yikes. Um, That's and terrible. Th- some of them didn't have clothes on, and the ones that didn't, you should have known at that... Like, they're experienced hikers. They should have known that they needed clothes on to do that. So either they were, like, running out in an extreme panic, or they were losing their minds. Um, Hypothermia, that's probably why they took their clothes off. Yeah, that is a weird thing. But when you're in the uh, tent, you don't usually get hypothermia like that when you have all your gear. If they got cold enough. If they were outside of their tent. I don't think it really gets, I don't think negative 24 is cold enough with all your gear to get hypothermia, hypothermia inside your tent. And, like, you would think that they would have planned for that. Yeah. Like, Heaters and stuff like that. Yeah, well, and they have those, like, fucking sleeping bag things. Have you ever slept in one of them? They're warm as mm-hmm. fuck. Sure haven't. All right. So, over a mile away, they found the first two bodies. And I'm saying last names, and I'm so sorry, but these names are so hard to pronounce. Because um, I'm bad at even English, let alone any other language. Dereshenko and Krevishenko, those are the guys that they found side by side in their underwear, essentially parallel. I looked at the pictures and it looked like one guy kind of had his leg swung over the other guy's leg. If that makes sense. Cute. In the snow. Yeah. Oh, they died in a cute way. Um, yeah, if we die together, I want to die like that. I also should probably put a warning at, I'm going to say it here and now. Um, if you're listening this far and you mainly listen to our podcast because you don't like true crime because of all the gore, this is not true crime necessarily, but there is gore, and I would just turn it off. 
or like skip ahead to Josh's part because it gets bad. Back to it. So they were found parallel and then they were under a tree and about 15 feet up into the tree there were broken branches and there was traces of blood and skin on the bark leading up to those branches. Their hands were bloody and there was remains of a fire off too. So it's weird because like so you started a fire, but you also tried to frantically climb up the tree. And did they fall out of the tree? Because it never says. And there's some stuff that's never explained, like, that's never released by the government that makes you question why it wasn't released and why there's no By the government? Yeah, because this was in Russia. And the government is, like, the military, they were looking for them. The okay. military is the people that did this investigation. Okay. Darren, Sh- Darren Shanko. He had burns on the side of his head, nose, ears, and his lips and stuff was also covered in blood. Multiple abrasions and bruises on the sides of his arms and legs and torso. And he had a gray, foamy discharge that came up from his mouth and was left on his cheek. And the autopsy doctor, whatever you call them, said that that could be from a great pressure on the chest that makes that happen but it has to be like a really big pressure and there was nothing on top of them these they were not found under snow they were found on top of snow with no but was there just underwear was there like did he have like any signs of um pressure on his chest like yeah Okay. No, he didn't. Kriven Shanko had bruises on his or his forehead and then his left temporal bone, chest, legs, and hands. And the skin from the tops of his hands were found in his mouth. Ooh. Disgusting. Like he had been chewing on his own hand? Yeah, but they also found skin from each of their palms on the tree. So their hands were missing a lot of skin. Yeah, but do you think uh, it, it like, maybe could have been because it was so cold that, like, if they were trying to climb up the tree, that their skin froze. came off? Okay, but either why were yeah. they trying to climb up a tree in just their underwear? And also to get away true. from something. What Had if something was trying to start a fire? Their tents were shredded. Okay, but all right, I got it. had enough time to start a fire and nope. also climb up a tree. So whatever this thing was that came to get them was shredding up their tents, and they were just frantically trying to get away. So they're trying to climb up this tree because they're like, this little bitch can't climb up trees and then it was so cold out and they were in their underwear so whatever this was started a fire and was like y'all know you want to come down to the fire and then um (laughs) and then they fell and broke the branches yep and fell into the fire and burned their face Mm -hmm. yes okay okay um and then a little bit away from these two they found three more bodies and i'm have a hard time pronouncing their last names too. They found Dalatov, Kalmagrova, and Slobodin. They were they were almost exactly the same meters apart. So there was like one and then like another hundred meters one and then like another hundred meters another one. So Dalatov, he was found face up, frozen, clutching a birch branch with one arm and covering his face with the other, almost like he was trying to shield his face. And that's how he was just frozen. Also, the other two, um, their cause of death was hypothermia, is what they con- concluded theirs to. But not that's not everybody's. He had a picture of his girlfriend who was on the trip with him, Kama Grova. So, and she was also one of the bodies found. So he had some clothes on and... Um, internal injuries and cause of death was also hypothermia 
and Slobodin, he was lying face down with bloody bloody discharge from his nose, swelling and weird bruises and abrasions on the side of his face, more abrasions on the side of on the other side of his face, and his skin had literally been ripped off his forearm and bruises on the joints of each hand, which indicates that he would have been trying to physically fight someone with his hands. Fractures of the frontal bone and the skull, and there was a on his skull there was a deep like cut incision and it was almost seven inches long hemorrhages in his temporalic muscles and that would be due to a blunt force trauma that could be caused um or that could cause lack of coordination which inevitably 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 i missing inevitably yeah inevitably whatever fuck it um (laughs) would have caused would have caused his death as hypothermia and then Alma Grova, the Dalatov's girlfriend. She was the farthest and she had blood around her body and it was never determined whether or not it was hers and her cause of death was hypothermia due to a violent accident. And there's not a whole lot more on her autopsy that was released. Um, So they were found on like that day and then the rest of them had to be had to wait to be found until May 4th until ice was to melt so they had to wait a couple months dang and then that is when they found bring brignol zalatorov kolovitov and dubedin dubedina sorry they were found in a goalie down a slope from the first two who were found their deaths were not from hypothermia and they all had clothes on um, they were either wearing, they weren't all wearing their own clothes, they were wearing others' clothes, so it's a, it's a thought that maybe they took the clothes off the people that were naked, because they were, like, wearing not their clothes, but the other people's clothes, so, like, maybe they all ran out in a hurry. Oh, and they, they found the other people, but they were dead? Yes. So and they, they took, took their, their clothes. clothes? Oh, that Ooh. would be so hard to do. Yeah. Um, so they dug themselves into the ground to stay away from the cold, which is something that you are told to do. And then they placed branches around them to separate them from the themselves from the snow so they wouldn't be, like, touching the snow, which is smart. Okay. Um, we have no idea how long they survived down there. And they had started a fire. And so they literally built a shelter and tried to wait it out, I guess. And they all had internal injuries similar to what you would find in a car accident, but very minimal soft tissue damage and very little bruising in comparison to their internal damage, which that does not add up. You can't, like, fucking... Have internal damaging, but, like, no external damage. damage. Yeah, Yeah, that's kind of crazy. So... Zola Tarov had a crushed chest and crushed ribs and a lot of internal bruises or internal damages and um, no bruising or soft tissue damage um, in those spots where, like on his chest and stuff, he had no soft tissue damage. Um, he was missing his eyes. They were ripped out of his skull. What the fuck? So, like, all of this seemed like some type of freak accident that they could have covered up by something. You know what I mean? Like, all of it seemed like they could have covered until that. Because that's just 
these they have though these people have like the worst of it like the the like hypothermia sucks yes they were found naked all that sucks but like what like oh yeah but the other people died sooner and clearly it was they were luckier for that um five broken ribs and he had an open wound on the side of his head with exposed bone both him and dubedina had a pattern of injuries similar in direction and force despite their shape height and body composition of them so it suggests that there wasn't a singular event so this means that it could not have happened from an avalanche because if an avalanche was to hit you and i at the same time because of like me and josh because like our different heights and everything my injuries are going to be different from josh's injuries but their injuries were so close that it's not possible based on their complete different body shapes that they would have happened at the same time to both of them. Weird, but whatever happened, like, it did the same amount of damage, so that's kind of crazy, too. And then he was also found with a camera, and these photos are never released. Um, they also... I don't like that. So, like, their tents were also destroyed from the inside out because they were trying to escape, but one of them grabbed a camera. Hmm. Right. Or, I mean, it could be, like, the camera from the rest of the trip, so if something was, like, leading up to it, but why wouldn't they release the pictures? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Well, like, why wouldn't they release way, any of the pictures? If you are in such a hurry to get out of your tent that you were destroying it from the inside out, yeah, why are you going to grab a camera? that is interesting. And not shoes. You're going to grab a camera but no shoes? Mm-hmm. None of them had shoes on. Uh, yeah, twenty-four. Honestly, for someone to grab a camera, like, yeah, you could say there's like a point five percent chance that he literally just like had the camera directly next to him and was like, "I got to go. I'm grabbing this just in case, so that I can get proof of what happened." He knew he was gonna die either way, so he was like, "Fuck the shoes. The camera's more important for whoever finds us." Okay, and then Yuri Yudin, the one that survived, also said that he had never seen that camera before. That he was supposed to go on this trip, and they were camping until they got to that village, and he got sick, so he stayed behind. They had never seen the camera that they found at all on that trip before. So, like, it was, like, a hidden camera, or it wasn't his, or something weird. And the investigators say that it got damaged in water, and that's why they haven't released the pictures. But Mm, Yeah, whatever. Dubadina. Yeah. Those are so terrible. Okay. So she was found with her head tilted back and her mouth open wide like she was screaming. She also did not have eyes. On top of that, she also did not have her tongue. It was ripped out. And her stomach was full of coagulated blood, which indicates that she was alive when her tongue was ripped out. Oh... Yikes. Oh my gosh. So she had no eyes and no tongue. And she was alive when her tongue got ripped out, which means she could have been alive when her eyes got ripped out. Yeah, especially you would think that that would all happen at the same time. Yeah, yeah you don't just like rip out a tongue and come back a couple days later and take the eyes. Yeah. Um, I mean, I wouldn't know, but I would assume not. Um, Personally, if I was doing it, I wouldn't once. come back a couple of days yeah, later. That's how you get caught. <laughs> Um, she had a short sleeve shirt on, um, two long sleeve shirts, two sweaters, long socks, two pairs of pants. Why um, is she more dressed than everyone else? Regular socks. Well, they think that they could have 
taken the other people's clothes. Okay. Um, two pairs of pants, blah, blah, blah. The outer layer of the pants was burned by a fire. She had a hat, and she also had another cut-up sweater wrapped around her feet. Um, she did have soft tissue damage around her eyes and eyebrows and bone exposure on her left temple, but, I mean, if someone rips out your eyes, I'm sure there's going to be some soft tissue damage. And her nose was broken, completely flattened to her face. She had four... That in itself can kill you. Like, immediately. Yeah, yeah. But, like, that was after the tongue then. Yeah. Like, if we were thinking that that could kill you, that had to have happened after the Like, tongue. what if it was, like, such a big... Oh, that's... I'm thinking, like, something so big that it can just, like, grab your eyes out, rip your tongue out, and then just... Also crush your nose in at the same time. But, again, there's so much blood in her stomach, so I don't know. Yeah, she was alive. Um, so four ribs broken on one side, six ribs broken on the other, and her upper lip was gone. Her teeth and jaw bone were exposed, and she had a hemorrhage on her heart and her lung, bruises on her thigh, and, oh, so, like, the amount of blood that was found in her stomach was 100 grams. Must have been alive for a hot minute. Or I don't know, I guess I don't know yeah. how much, I don't know how much that bleeds. I'm assuming it bleeds a lot, so I guess I don't really know how long she yeah, has to be. Yeah, it's in your head. Um, and her cause of death was a heart, was the heart hemorrhage. Um, so she didn't die from her nose, her tongue, or her eyes. She died from her heart hemorrhage. Kolvatov. Um, he had a broken nose and a deformed neck, and his autopsy did not release any more than that. Which, from the pictures, he may not have had as many injuries. Um, Brignol had multiple fractures. So you saw these pictures? I like, you can look them up, yeah. They're from the 50s, or from, like, the 59, though, so, like, they're not, like, super detailed as if someone was to take pictures of this stuff now, and I think that's why they're on the internet, because you can look at it, and, like, you don't really know what you're looking at until someone explains to you all their injuries, and then you can see it, if that makes sense. So he had also a big bruise on his upper lip, a hemorrhage in his lower left arm, and a massive and weird fracture that was on his arm. Um, and all four of their chests have been crushed and very little soft tissue damage. That's weird. Um, and they, on their cameras, the ones that, the pictures that were released on February 2nd, they all looked happy and normal. Kolotov was really big on keeping a personal journal and it was very detailed. And the guy that survived said he remembers how good he was about writing literally everything down. And um, that diary has never been found. And that camera is also missing. So his diary and camera is missing. The guy that keeps the most documentation in the group has his... They had never released. They never found, quote-unquote. Weird. Which I think they're just not releasing it. Um, So, like, um, that's two things that would have been helpful. And in 2006, six of the search and rescuers, um, they had, like, this organization, and parts of a university and technical experts, they all had a meeting, and they come, came to the conclusion that this accident was due to an unintended, to the unintended result of the secret military test. And then in 2020, the government was just like, it was an avalanche. It was an avalanche, guys. Please source trust me, bro. <laughs> it was. Yep. 
that's all it was which the one autopsy dude said that wasn't possible for something like that to happen based off the, all of their injuries and the one group specifically and then also like none of those first bodies were under snow they found them on top of snow they found their campsite on top of snow there was a fucking the ski poles from pictures from before when they first got to the camp and set it up and then pictures when they found the bodies and that same ski pole is standing up there was an avalanche how did that not get knocked down or buried that's my question yeah and apparently the investigation was very rushed by the government and they closed it very soon and um they probably had some type of alien get loose for all we know let's say let's say that it was an avalanche you're not digging yourself on top of the snow with all those broken bones that those people had nope there's no way not with all your, no. not with no especially like broken ribs like trying to keep like moving your arms and stuff like that and your your fucking wrists are fractured because you were trying you were physically fighting somebody there's a whole website about this it's literally called like the dilative 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 so a lot of people say this is like off the record but a lot of people say that at their funerals their bodies had a very deep orange tan and all of their hair was gray so that's just word of mouth. It's kind of weird, though. One of their clothing clothing did have high levels of radiation, so that is weird. This is also during the Soviet Union time. Radiation is not a normal thing that you test for in an autopsy, so why did they do that? Why are they just, like, test them for radiation? Right. Um, some people think it's a Yeti because, okay, so I said that they had Oh, a yeah, I was going right? to say something about that. Just kind of like... They said they had a newspaper... Their last entry of the newspaper said, now we know the snowman exists. What? Right? That's creepy as fuck. What do you mean the snowman? The, okay, snowman. you know what? That's goes, that goes back to exactly what the fuck I was saying about the thing with, like, a giant hand that literally, like, grabbed yeah. her face, gra- ripped her eyeballs out and her tongue out, and smashed her nose in yeah if it was if it was like a giant yeti like that he'd be able to do that just like quickly like yeah with those sound effects though i'm expecting him to make those sound effects exactly (laughs) me too it would be weird if he didn't um so the yeti killed them all um but the monsi tribe a lot one of their folklores is the yeti that's not what they call it but that's essentially uh yeah and that's why their tents were tore up from the floor up because this yeti was like bruh why are people not in they these tents? They tore their own tents up, though. Did they, though? Tore up from the yeah, floor. Yeah, from up. the inside out. They were torn from the inside torn. out. Torn. How were they yeah. torn, though? Yeah. They didn't use the zippers. They literally ripped themselves out of these tents. In a frantic ma- manner to get out of them. I guess. But also, a couple weeks before this, the Monsi tribe... They had all of their reindeer and some other animals that were killed by something. All of them. Like, the whole farm. And then the American embassy, a couple years later, in Nepal, set regulations for climbers that they had to follow if they were to come across a yeti. Interesting. No way. They set regulations that you have to follow if you come across a yeti? Yep. Just in Russia? Where's Nepal? I don't think Nepal is Russia. I think there's just snow there. Oh, but, this, okay. but that's just like saying that yetis are real. Um, Love it. Some people think aliens because on March 31st, there was a group of rest, search and rescuers that were 
I think, still looking for them. They've seen a glowing, pulsing orb in the sky. Um, my computer automatically corrected it to in the gay. <laughs> mm-hmm. Happy Pride Month. That's kind of funny. And one of them said, it happened early in the morning while it was still dark, and one of the guys who stood guard that night left the tent and started saw a large glowing sphere in the sky and woke everyone up. And we watched the orb or disc for about 20 minutes before it disappeared behind the mountain. This freaked everyone out, and we were we were sure that it was involved in the deaths of the hikers. Masi hunters also seen the exact same orbs and reported them. Students, geologists, natives, and local military in January, February, and March also reported seeing similar orbs around this time. And in early April, local soldiers testified that they had seen um the same thing of slow pulsating orbs and the tops of the trees were burned and the government so the a guy was like writing a report on all of this the government made him take all of the alien related things out no way yep but how do you how do we have proof of that he just he came out later and said it the government in an interview the guy that wrote the original like article on it and an interview later on said that the government made him, probably after the Soviet Union fell, he probably then came out and was like, yeah, they made me take this out. So a lot of people think that the military slash government is behind it, either covering up alien stuff or like the one people came to the clu- conclusion that it was a testing zone for a military weapon and they had stumbled upon it and the government killed them because they'd seen too much. So, first of all, like, the investigation was rushed. They closed the mountain for three years after this. Incident. Three years? Three years? Oh, they're just trying what to catch the all the yetis. They're like, yep. you, um, you silly geese. You're not supposed to be so ripping eyeballs Yuri out. Yudin, he had to um pretty much like look over everything and identify stuff and be like yeah 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 that's what this this is this blah 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 you know what i mean he was the only survivor he was with them before so they used him yeah for that he seen that there was a fabric of a soldier's uniform in the pile that he was like that's weird so he backs that it was a government like testing that they had stumbled upon and that the government killed them is what he believes. So there's also a pair of glasses and skis that did not belong to anyone that he confirmed they were those were not anyone's glasses or skis. So there was someone there that was not part of the group when they died. And the investigation was rushed and also it says that the documentation that the government started said that it started two weeks before they even found the camp. Interesting. So I think that would have been two weeks before they even, like, would have said that, like, reported them missing. Because, like, you give them a couple days to, like, reach back out to you. Because they were supposed to reach out on the 12th, and they didn't find the camp until the 26th. So the day that they didn't reach out is when the government started the investigation. Before giving So they knew something weird was up immediately. Um, so the thought is maybe that they were using sounds, inference sounds, trying to weaponize it, and maybe, um, they had experiments, and, like, maybe either they stumbled upon it and seen too much, or that the sounds made them go crazy and had a feel of dread or panic and literally became crazy, which has happened before in some studies where people have sickness 
um, like because of their ears, paranoia, or all sorts of things due to just sound. So like some weird shit. The military was doing some weird shit out there. You don't know what, but they were doing some weird shit. This is one of my favorite fucking stories because it's so weird and it's so secretive and the government's literally doing the most to not... They're just covering it up. and there's Well, no they're literally not sharing like a lot of details that yeah. are just kind of like, like camera, why are you journals? not that's what i was thinking yeah like why are you not sharing this why did you start the investigation two weeks before you even found the camp right why did you open an investigation before you even knew that they were dead like yes not just a missing persons investigation but an investigation as to what to was what was happening to the you know what i mean mm. and like why involve the military and all of that. If it's just I mean, two me, weeks. Because, like, yeah. when people are hiking, you you give them a couple days. Like, I say at the absolute most, you give them five days for a little bit of leeway to give you contact. And then you start... Like, I don't think you're supposed you're like, to wait okay. that long, though. Because people can die in two five days. Five days That's is a long, long time. time. Yeah. Because people can die in two yeah. days. If you don't get in contact with someone within 24 hours who is hiking, like, you should probably start a search party. Hmm. It's usually, like... Yeah, a day after, like, their check-in time, okay. if they gave Because you it's just, like, you can, you know what I mean? Like, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. 48 hours. Like 48 hours, you can be done. Um, I mean, before that. that. was one of the other thoughts, is that when you have reverse hypothermia, not reverse hypothermia, but when you get hypothermia to some point, you, all, you feel like you're on fire, so you take off all your clothes. But I think that the one people, since they had all the extra clothes from that, like, weren't theirs, I think that they just took their clothes. That's yeah, I, I agree with that. I think they took the other people's clothes, like, when they realized they were dead and they were yeah. trying to, they were just trying to survive. Yeah, that, I mean, that their would make eyes, sense, but. They're calm. Why is. <sighs> that creeps me it out. It wasn't a fucking avalanche. It wasn't a goddamn avalanche. And no, that creeps me out. There's no fucking way. And you know, there's someone in Russia that listens to this. And I'm telling you right now, it wasn't a fucking avalanche. Yeah, I feel like an avalanche. If there was an avalanche, then, like, how would they have been able to find the bodies so easily, like... All, if there was an avalanche, all of them would have been buried. And they wouldn't have created a... For- there would have been proof of an avalanche. Yeah. Well, and also, like, those those ones were only buried because they buried themselves. That's what I'm saying. Like, they, how were they, the they able to build that? You can't build that while an avalanche is coming down. And it, Yeah. Yeah, you really can't. I mean, I've never been in one, but I'm just going to say you can't. I'm pretty sure avalanches happen very quickly. Like, you can you don't have get time. some time, but, like, not more than a couple of yeah. minutes at the absolute You don't have most. time to, like, build, like, a, a fort under the ground. Build a shelter. This is, like, definitely one of my favorite stories, and I don't think we will ever know what happened until, like a hundred million years from now when they find the documents from the Russian government in an old storage unit and then they're like, Wow, this is weird. But like I'm in sure other million stuff would have happened. That one old then. storage unit. Yeah. yeah, I definitely I I like that story. That was a good one. I just wanna know so bad. My story is on it's just a combination so strange stories of the Alaskan Triangle which I will send this picture to pee on the Instagram. Basically, there's certain areas on the planet that seem to be missing um, magnets for, like, missing people or mysterious experiences. 
and there's a big part of wilderness um, in Alaska known as the Alaskan Triangle. It says it's been the center of over 16,000 disappearances since 1988. How is that not, how, like, compared to the Bermuda Triangle? How is 16,000 16, people That's going like, missing over the course of, like... A couple towns. Yeah, over the course of, like, 40 years? That's wild. But, um... <laughs> Alien. Alien. It's always See, alien. I'm that person. <laughs> alien. <laughs> the Alaskan Triangle was first named in 1972. It connects the largest, uh, the state's largest city of Anchorage in the south to Juneau in the southeast panhandle to Barrow, a small town in the state's north coast. Roughly one in every 250 people that have gone into the Alaskan Triangle have vanished since 1988. Um, and that there's been over 16,000 disappearances there. It's statistically, there's more annual missing people there than anywhere else in the country, just in Alaska in general. It's twice the national average. And it also has the highest number of missing people who are never found. My question is, is are people going missing during their dark period or their light period? That is... An interesting question. I think it's just in general. And I will also yeah. say, this isn't, like, people permanently going missing. It's just that people, like, have gone missing, like, reported missing, whatever. So the 16,000 isn't, like, 16,000 people that have vanished without a trace. It's like just... some of them are found. Yeah. It's just people going missing in general. And getting lost to something along those lines. That's a really big triangle, though, when you think about how big Alaska actually is. Yeah, it... Like, it does cover a lot of fucking ground. Damn. How big is it in comparison to the Bermuda Triangle? I don't know how oh, big dang. the Bermuda Triangle is. That's but, um, how big it is? Yeah. I can look up the Bermuda Triangle. The Bermuda Shorts. Yeah, the Bermuda Shorts <laughs> Triangle. Bermuda Shorts. I just... It, they wear them because they're not real. Like... The Bermuda Triangle makes things disappear. Bermuda shorts aren't in existence. Sounds about right. So that's the Bermuda Triangle. Okay. So, significantly so, bigger. Um, I, just, I think about the same size. Yeah? Yeah. I found out you can take, um, uh, what the heck is it? Shorts and jeans and cut them off and make them into shorts pants and cut them into Bermuda shorts but <laughs> you can take a cruise to the Bermuda Triangle yeah, yeah. you could fucking but people walk. disappear out there all the time well Florida's a hot spot for cruises of course a lot of cruises but they also Bermuda guarantee you your money back if you disappear so let me know how <laughs> that works I out mean uh... I don't I don't know how they're gonna get their money back if they disappear it is uh, kind of crazy, honestly. Okay, so statistically, Alaska has more missing people than anywhere else in the country. It also has the highest number of missing people who are just never found. Um, in 2007, 2,833 people were reported missing. When um, compared to the 67,000 people, it's about like four in every thousand people 
have gone missing at some point or have been reported missing at some point. That's so wild. Oh. When I think about statistics like that, I'm I think about every thousand people that you meet, four of them are going to go missing. Exactly. Just at some point in time. Just I've to, never just looked at it in like that of like the people that you've met, but I like that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean like one in two hundred and fifty that would be. So like if I don't know, like I feel like that's about like a high school graduating class. Yeah. It's like one Different of those day, people yeah. in your graduating class, missing, gone. Yeah, like, for sure. Well, I mean, what's the percentage of people in your graduating class that, like, die of a car accident? Isn't there, like, a certain percentage of people that actually die every year um, after they gra- right after they graduate? It sounds like driving? a thing that would happen. Uh, I mean, yeah, I was going to say, somebody in my class died from a car accident, so it makes mm-hmm. sense. I almost died. I was the girl that almost died in one, but I didn't quite, and I'm sure some of them were like that fucking little slut. They're like, she should have been gone. Me, I was like, she should have fucking died, but I guess yeah. so now we she's still, still have to deal with her shit. Her. <laughs> oh, Lord. You're, yeah, but Kyla, you're just a horrible human being, so. She Thank wasn't you. in my class then. Thank fair, you. Fair. I didn't know her. You didn't know. It was a different time. Oh. Our love story begins. (laughs) It was a cold summer. Uh, Oh. So, some of the uh, crazier stories from there. There was the disappearance of some of their, like, politicians a House Majority Leader Hale Boggs and a representative named David Beach. I uh, highly doubt I'm pronouncing that correctly, but it'd be like that. Um, there were two prominent politicians and um, them alongside with alongside their aide, Russell Brown, and a Bush pilot mysteriously vanished in the region while on their way back from Anchorage um, while flying in uh, Cessna aircraft. There was a search that lasted 39 days, including 400 aircraft, dozens of boats going from along the Coast Guard, and the search area covered 32,000 square miles, which is about the size of the entire state of South Carolina. There was no evidence of the plane ever found, and the men were declared dead. At the time, conspiracy theories claiming the disappearance was orchestrated or covered up by uh, the FBI director at the time, because there were they had intense political struggles with uh, Boggs, with one of the with the House Majority Leader, and to this take, day, how long do you take to declare someone dead? Like if I feel like a decent a amount of time, like a couple of years, at, or like I think the family also has to like I think it has to be a like a mutual like acceptance or something. I think, yeah, I think it's and the family can push for it sooner. So like, let's say you're a struggling mother and your husband dies and they can't find his body or it disappears and he has a really big life insurance. While it sucks, but she can push for him to be declared dead in order to support her family. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, 
So yeah, to this day, they've never found the plane. No traces of the plane, and that's been... Isn't that, like, Amelia Earhart or some shit? Yeah, I think so. Like, just no traces of anything after 40 years. Stop squeaking your chair. (laughs) Um, Another thing, in 1986, a Japanese plane was flying from Iceland to Anchorage when it came across three UFOs. Um, the three unidentifying flying objects followed the airliner for approximately 400 miles through the triangle, and um, one of the objects was said to be twice the size of an aircraft carrier. So just, like, huge objects followed them wait, wait, through wait, the wait, triangle. Wait. I have this idea that, you know how people say that like the president or whatever signs um to approve a certain amount of people being abducted a year i didn't know people said that but okay okay whatever whatever no anyway continue what if they approve it only in those areas and that's why in these areas that's why everyone disappears because they they're saying like i guess you can randomly abduct people but you can only keep them if they go into these territories like an agreement like the edward cohen with the werewolf agreement yeah cohen family and the werewolf agreement i'm bringing it all back to twilight forever josh perfect i hate it but okay the crew reported seeing flashing lights following the plane and aircraft controllers also witnessed something on their radar um that was reported as close as five miles from the plane which i feel like for when you're flying a plane you don't want things anywhere near you because you're going so fast and like yeah, if you miles? hit anything it's just gonna fuck you up in my head that's like wingspan i know it's not but i'm just like if i was a plane it would spun my it's arms still around it takes up five miles and i know this logically doesn't make that sense. is also very far <laughs> off but i like the way that you think Anyway, in order to escape the UFO, the pilot received permission from the ground to fly at a really low altitude while making several turns just to elude the object, but nothing that he did was able to, like, get it off of him. And after about, anyway, after about 30 minutes, the UFO disappeared, although the pilot claimed that he thought the entire encounter lasted much longer than that. Which, like... I could see, like, if you're in a high-stress situation, like, something that you don't know is following you, and especially, like, if you think right away, like, oh, it might be a military craft of some sort, like, it taking longer, but the fact that it was only half an hour and the dude thought it was, like, a crazy long amount of time is kind of weird. Alien abduction. Always alien abduction. He's missing time, or he's adding. He's adding time. It was like he uh, thought that it was slow motion. Yeah. So there was also a missing just aircraft, and they don't have um, the list of the names on here. But in the 1950s, there was a military aircraft carrying an eight-man crew and 36 passengers. The plane lost contact with the ground and was never heard from again. Um, there were two separate... So another plane disappearing. Yeah, another plane just gone with the wind. There were two separate reports of UFO activity in the area, and at the time of the disappearance, and there was some one week before, and others, like, as early as two days after. The Army ended up conducting 
the largest military search and rescue mission at the time and found absolutely nothing again. There was no sign that they were ever there, nothing to indicate that there was a plane in existence to begin with. Like, in the area, or that flight just never took off? Just, like, the area. Like, there was okay. no sign that the, there it was... was... Like, that's... That yes. would be crazy, crazy. These people were never even born. I was thinking, like, mm, okay, but, like, in these areas, what if they're just like, mm, we're just gonna make it seem like nothing ever happened. I'm gonna, yeah. government. I'm gonna keep sticking mm-hmm. it up. Yeah. I think that I makes sense. That. I think that's the theme... For this episode, is it's the government? It's always the government. <laughs> I think that's the theme for most of our episodes. The always, and then the every government. week we get we get new dots in Washington D.C. that listen. Kyla's having a million in the hole. The government. <laughs> Honestly, it could be. They're like, uh, target this Kyla. They're like, get her off the podcast. Shit, we don't want people to talk about. Um. So there are some reasons that they think it might, like, the Alaskan Triangle might be like this. The biggest thing is just, like, how harsh the landscape is and how bad the weather gets up there. So people just die because of natural... Natural causes and go missing, and then it's just hard to find anyone in that kind of condition. But, like, it's weird that there's never any, like, you know, like, seats or, like, propellers or anything from the plane. Uh, Just something. Especially, like, if a plane crashes... At the very least, if a plane crashes into a forest, you would think it's going to take, like, it usually takes some trees down with it. Like, it's not like it just... Well, the only way... Jet fuel. I I think, like, these areas are all surrounded by oceans, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, so, like, the only way that these can go, like, unnoticed is if, like, no one is, like, radaring the area and the, the plane crashes into the water. Yeah, but a lot of these, like, it's near the ocean, but in, like, the Alaska thing, it's almost all woods. Like, uh, it is kind of, like, some of the end points are near the ocean, but most of it's just, like, it's the wilderness. It's as close to the ocean as Niagara Falls. I don't... I'm not picking up what you're looking That's at. a very weird comparison. She means it's very far. I just, okay. I, mean, I just like, don't know how far the, Niagara Falls is yeah. from the ocean. Well, like, the triangle goes in very wide to where it's not really near the ocean. Because Alaska's huge. Mm-hmm. Alaska's not as small as most people think. And it's it's the inner part of Alaska and goes into Canada. So it's not the, it's not the part that's like all surrounded by water. Like that part of it is kind of cut out. Okay. Of the triangle from the picture that Josh showed. Yeah. So, there's a little bit, but not, like, a lot of this is just, like, in the the wilderness. But over half of the entire, like, all of America's federally designated wilderness, um, when the Wilderness Act was passed back in 1964, is just in Alaska. It's a very harsh landscape. It has really bad weather, um, a bunch of, like, dangerous animals in there, like bears, wolves, all of that fun stuff. And it's home to a hundred active volcanoes, which I did not know. Like, there were active volcanoes in Alaska. In Alaska? Uh, I don't think I knew that either. Yeah. Which, like, I think, like, oh, like, in Hawaii and, like, those kind of places. But. Yeah. I would never. areas. Exactly. But I would never think, like, oh, yeah, Alaska, that's where all of the, uh. The, the volcanoes are. Exactly. 
Eruption. But there's over 130 volcanoes that have been active. It's um active within like the last two million years. I was just 90... about to say like I would assume they've all been dormant for a long period of time since Alaska is uh, Alaska. Yeah, so 90 have been active within, like, a slightly closer period, which was, like, the last 10,000, but more than 50 have been active since 1760, so, like, the last couple hundred years. Which is scary. Honestly. Good thing we don't live near there. Exactly. But considering that there is, like, all of this crazy things in rugged wilderness, and the fact that a lot of tourists go up there to camp and hike with out really like being aware of how dangerous it is or like what you'll need to actually survive there um a lot of people think like that they'll just get lost in the middle of nowhere encounter something that like injures them incapacitates them like whether or not it's just like they starve to death out there or like they run into wolves or trip (sighs) into a hole or something yeah do you think as many people go missing in the rainforest, though? Because I feel like if that was the case, like, I feel like a lot of people go missing, but not that many. Exactly. And, like, a lot of people go missing, like, in regular <laughs> national forests, but, like, twice the national average is a lot just for, like, a yeah, small tough. area. And it can't just all just be... That's twice the weather. national average? Yeah. In Alaska, people go missing twice as often as... Like the national average. Why are people moving there? You just uh, you just don't go in the woods. It'll be fun. It's cold. Yeah. There's woods that people get I, freaking lost because it's snowing. It's, there's sunshine for 24 hours. I and cannot what's the wait sunshine going to gonna do? Look pretty because it's fucking cold out. So it's actually, it's not that cold in the summer. Much of like. It can actually get, like, pretty hot. There's, like, recorded highs of 80 degrees or... Recorded highs of 80 degrees. Yeah, That's a recorded high. But, like, so in July, the high temperatures are, like, 60 to mid-70s. That's disgusting. That is so cold. And you know, it's perfect on a in, hike. in fucking July, sixty to seventy. Don't perfect. talk to me about this stupid shit, Joshua, because I know that you're just over here, like, oh, this is where I want to move, and it's not okay, because you're literally like stuck with 70s. me forever. So I don't care what the cold. fuck you're talking about. Literally, I move to Alaska. The only you're go missing. The it'll be perfect. Dude. It's the dream. <laughs> I will, uh, I will travel there. And, like, make you go missing so I can kidnap you and bring you back to California. And life's going to be a fucking struggle for you. But I don't know literally sounds like hell. Uh, anyway. You're welcome. Um, but they say that <laughs> since, like, the air does get kind of warm sometimes, like, it gets up to, like, 60s, 70s, but then we'll get very, very cold either at night or just, like, for the rest of the year. That's why yeah. there's so many, like, thunderstorms and, like, okay. bad weather and all of that fun stuff. Oh, um, rainforest. Exactly. Do they not have thunderstorms? Uh, I feel like they do, but it's just, like, when there's a big difference in temperature is when they have, like, really bad storms. Like, the storm that we just had here in Michigan um, 
a couple of days ago. Well, well, it went from, like, the 60s up to, like, 90, 100 degrees. Yeah, it got hot real fast. And so, like, that, like, temperature difference kind of fucked us over with the storm. But Wait, I, so how many people go missing a yearly? Yearly? I think it was like 2,800 in yeah, 2007. So that's double? That's literally double the rainforest. The rainforest is 1,600. So you cannot tell me it's because of the weather because the fucking environment and the weather in the rainforest is things. similar to like other areas. Okay, is yeah. that is yeah. that arguing with me? I think no, it's just, just arguing, arguing with, with the, the, the article uh, I was and like, the government. I don't know things. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but anyway, so that's like they think it might just be like temperatures, whatever. But then there's also the theory that it could be aliens. Of course, always aliens. aliens um, yeah. Question, answer, aliens. Exactly. All the time. All you need to think of aliens. Asked and answered. Asked and answered. Um, since 1998, there have been over 560 reported UFOs. In Alaska, more a majority of the sightings are in that Alaskan Triangle area. There's large alien base. So it's in a 1970 or a 1997 book. Um, somebody named Jim Schnabel. I butchering that last name, told the story of the U.S. intelligence community's involvement in the controversial issue of psychic spying that largely began in the early to mid-1970s. And this, I don't remember what the project's name was, but there was a project back, like, in that time that the government was working on where, like, the CIA was trying to get remote viewing which was, like, people that said that they had, like, a psychic ability to see other people or, like, be able to find where people were in the world. And that is, like, an actual documented, like, experiment that the CIA ran I'm for all a while. about these government experience experiments. Exactly. And um, they said that the, a talented remote viewer in a relationship to a UFO nature... Um, Somebody named Pat Price was noted the opinion that Alaska's Mount Hayes, the jewel of the glacial uh, range northeast of Anchorage, housed one of the aliens' largest bases. So they think that there is an actual like alien base up in Alaska, like in the mountain. In the sky. In the mountain. I knew it. In the mountains. I in the knew sky? it. I knew it. Not, Isn't that not, also not part? in the sky? But like, but like so high in the mountains that it's like. But I knew there was aliens involved. Possibly, or it could be like. I think there was a cult on based off of that. Was there culty aliens? Uh I feel like there's cults based on a lot of things. But based off of that specific alien. Are you wait? No, 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 no. Area. Are you trying to say that aliens can't have cults? Because that's discrimination. You know, that's discriminatory. I am saying that it's discrimination. Aliens can't have cults, so they're a higher species. <laughs> so according to Pat Price, the aliens lived deep inside the mountain. So they weren't, like, in the sky. Like, inside of the mountain. 
and they were very human looking, differing only in like internal things, like their heart and lungs and blood was all different, and their eyes were different. Their eyes? Their eyes, like just different. It doesn't describe how they are, but just different than humans. Said ominously, he added that aliens use thought transfer for motor control of us, he said. The site has also been responsible for strange activity and malfunction of U.S. and Soviet uh, space objects, is what he was claiming. I found the call. It was Heaven's Gate. I don't know if they believed in that one, but they believed that the UFO had a, a base in the mountains somewhere in the world. Okay. So they just kind of, like, thought, oh, there's some base. And so, when was that? Do you know what year? Like 1974. Oh, and this was in 1997 that uh, the book was published. And it was, I think, in, like, the early to mid-1970s that the psychic started saying things. So it could very well be related. I think there's a lot of cults. That believe that, but theirs was one of the biggest ones. One of the other most searched thing is, can you still join Heaven's Gate? Absolutely. That's one can of I the other most this murder cult? search things. <laughs> I would love to be part of this murder cult if it's okay. Uh, okay, but like, if you join? can't beat them, join them. Anyway, despite the controversial nature of the story, they found that the U.S. military took a great deal of interest in tales of UFO activity in Alaska. For example, formerly classified FBI files are telling tell of startling UFO encounters in the period of 1947 to 1950. In August 1947, there was a UFO incident involving two serving members of the military. Um, the report began, this is to advise that two Army officers reported to the Office of the Director of Intelligence Headquarters, Alaskan Department, at Fort Richardson, Alaska. They had witnessed an object passing through the area at a tremendous rate of speed, which could not be judged as two miles per hour. So it was so fast that they couldn't even, like, try to guess at how fast it was going. So clearly it was aliens. Exactly. So um, aliens own that plot of land. Entirely. Especially, like, it's all designated as, like, wilderness area, and so yeah. it's separated out for that. Um, according to the official report, the UFO was initially sighted by only one of the two officers, but as soon as he alerted his colleague to the strange sight, the object... Oh, but, sorry, but he soon alerted his colleague to the strange sight. The object appeared to be the shaped like a sphere and didn't give off the impression of being, like, saucer or disc-like. Um, the first officer stated that it would be impossible to give, um, any details concerning the object, but that it appeared to be about only two or three feet in diameter and didn't leave any, like, vapor or any trail in the sky behind it. So it was just like this small little thing. Being So he was an experienced officer, and because of that, in his first attempt to gauge the altitude of objects, and from a comparison with just like the clouds in the area and all of that fun stuff, he determined that whatever the nature of the sphere, it was cruising at a height of more than 10,000 feet. And um, said it should be noted that to be 
at that height, to be at that height and still visible, um, it's probably the UFO must have exceeded by a, war, a wide margin the initial estimate of two or three feet. So they think it might have just like looked like two or three feet from far away, but that it was actually much closer and much bigger just because it was far away. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. When questioned, the second officer gave a very similar account, and the only difference is that, in his opinion, he considered the object to be, like, 10 feet in diameter. Um, And this is just, like, guessing, because it was so far away that, like, you can't really tell, but it was, like, moving fast and had to be at a certain altitude. These are men. So, like, one foot, two feet, maybe. Uh, anyway, uh, the discrepancy in size was apparently due to the fact that the second officer believed the UFO was at a lower height, like two to, or three to four thousand feet rather than ten thousand feet suggested. But all of this was just eyeballed; like they just saw it yeah. whizzing by them, and they took their best guess. Shortly after, the FBI office at Anchorage reported to the bureau director at the time, which was Hoover, which was also the person that uh, theoretically had bad blood with the people that had gone missing, the politicians that had gone missing. They reported that we were able to locate a flyer who observed some object near Bethel, Alaska in July of 1947. So this was about a month before the two officers seen it. And um, the pilot related that the occasion of seeing the flying object near Bethel was on a July day when the sky was completely clear of clouds. And as it was, it was during the 24-hour daylight period of time. That was a very weird way of wording it. I wonder if, like, so with all this alien stuff, and, like, that came in the 40s, right? I wonder if the government was just, like, more aware of all the alien shit before the public was, and that goes back to why we're Kyla's story. The first reporting was only, like, kind of recent in comparison to how, like, often people Mm -hmm. talk about aliens. Yeah, and so it could be, like, the government covered it up, and I feel like back in the day it would have been easier to cover up the aliens. Yeah, you didn't have, like, social media and shit. Exactly. Um, because also like, so that's that was the first recorded one. Who's gonna be like, yeah, okay, I'll write down your alien story. Well, exactly. Not as many people like question the government at that point in time either. Like people were just like, oh no, they wouldn't lie to us. Why would the government ever tell me a, a falsehood? They're they're so good people. So as on approaching the airport, the pilot was amazed to see um to his left an unidentified craft. Um, the size of a C-54 without any fuselage, which um, I'm not entirely sure on how like large it is, just like the thing. Let me see if I can find it really quick. So about 93 feet long, which seemed to resemble a flying wing. And as a result of the unique shape, the pilot was initially unable to determine whether the object was heading towards his aircraft or away from it. And so he decided to make a um, 45-degree turn in order to not get hit by whatever was approaching him. 45-degree um, turn? 
Yeah, just a real quick swerve. Says the FBI noted that the pilot was certain that the craft was free of any external power source, such as like a propeller or like jet engine, any of that stuff. He and the document added that he called on his radio to the Civil Aeronautics Administration station at Bethel, asking what aircraft was in the area, and then they had no idea what he was talking about. He said that he saw it like five or ten miles from the airport, so pretty close in like air traffic control. They had nothing, like, on their radar. And he said, of course, that he couldn't tell whether or not it was making any noise, and just saying that it was flying at about a 1,000 foot altitude and going about 300 miles per hour, which is pretty average aircraft speed, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I would think so. The author, um, So that was just kind of like that report, and as the 1940s started to end, and the new decade dawned, the FBI continued to receive and log high-quality UFO reports on a regular basis. Of those, one of the more credible related to a noteworthy series of encounters that occurred in Alaskan airspace over the course of two days in the 1950s. Forwarded by... Sorry? So that's just alien land. Oh yeah, it's entirely just like, the aliens live there, they do whatever the fuck they want, the government yeah. does not care. That's my belief now. Oh yeah, 100%. That is my belief as well. So, there was a report forwarded to the UF, or to the FBI titled The Unidentified Phenomenon in the Vicinity of Kodak, Alaska, Kodiak, Alaska, and it concerns a report of sightings of unidentified airborne objects by various naval personnel on the 22nd and 23rd of January in 1950. The author of the report noted at there's, there's a lot of military speak in here, I'm going to cry. Patrol Squadron 1 reported an unidentified radar contact 20 miles north of the Naval Air Station. When the first contact was made, Lieutenant Smith was flying um, the Kodiak Security Patrol, so they would just, like, patrol the area with planes. Eight minutes later, a, radio con- a radar contact was made on an object 10 miles southeast of Kodak, of that naval airspace. Um, Smith checked with the control tower to determine if it was known traffic and was informed that they had no idea what was out there, there shouldn't be anything out there. Um, During this period, the radar operator Gasky reported intermittent radar interference of a type he had never before experienced. Contact was lost at this time, but and the intermittent interference continued. Smith and Gatsky were not the only two to report any um, unidentified vehicles that had intruded on the Alaskan airspace. At the time of the encounters, the USS Tilbrook was anchored in the vicinity of, it says Booby 19, as if uh, any of us would know where Booby 19 is. In the main, it's uh, in the nearby main ship channel. On board the Tilbrook was a seaman named Morgan, who was standing watch. At some point between 2 and 3 a.m., Morgan reported a very fast-moving red light, which appeared to be of exhaust nature, um, coming from the southeast, moving clockwise in a large circle in the direction of and around Kodak, and then it returned out in a generally southeast direction. And so something had just come up very fast, and like he could see the exhaust of it, but not the ship itself. 
just kind of going around the base. Literally just the exhaust, though? How do you only see the exhaust? I just... I mean, like, you know how you can kind of see, like, plane trails sometimes? Oh. I imagine it's just like that. Like, you can see the trail. So, the report then records yet another encounter um, by somebody that was conducting uh, another routine security patrol. They reported a visual sighting of an unidentified airborne object at a range of five miles um, just off, like, the left side of the plane. The object showed indications of great speed on the radar scope, and the trailing edge of the blip gave, like, a tail-like indication. Like, it looked kind of like the tail of a plane. Lieutenant Smith quickly advised the rest of the crew um, that the UFO was in sight, and all of them watched in fascination as the strange vehicle soared overhead at a speed estimated around 1,800 miles per hour. Smith tried to intercept the UFO and vainly tried to circle it, um, but its high speed and maneuverability ensured that he was unable to really get even close to it. it. says, however, neither Lieutenant Smith nor his crew was quite prepared for what happened next. Subsequently, the object seemed to be opening the range, the official report reads, and Smith attempted to close the range. So, like, the object kept, every time he got close, um, the object would kind of pull further and further away from it. Yeah, is this, like, a giant, um, like, release document from the military? Yeah, this is all, like, documents that have been released at some point um, okay. after the military did its thing. The UFO was observed to open out somewhat, then turn to the left and come up on Smith's quarter. Uh, Smith considered this to be a highly threatening gesture and turned out all the lights in his aircraft. And four minutes later, the object disappeared from its view in a southeastern direction. So basically, he was, like, trying to get close to whatever it was. And he could not catch up to it, could not catch up to it. And then all of a sudden, it just, like, turned around and got, like, really close to him. They're like, bro, back off. Stop trying to follow me. boy. Basically. And, um... So the following day, they were on patrol, and they were still kind of like on high alert when they were trying to figure it out. And two other lieutenants also saw an unidentified aerial vehicle. At the time of the encounter, the aircraft was about 62 miles south of Kodak. And for 10 minutes, the lieutenants, along with the pilot, watched Sun as the mysterious object twisted and turned in the Alaskan sky. And so, like, these are military people that are seeing this that have no idea... I was just about to say that. Like, what's going on. Also, like, military people know that, like, you can't just be walking around being like, I see aliens. Exactly. Without, like, like, without something to justify yeah. it or, like, back or it even, up. even, like, being put in a psych ward or anything wild if it's not true. You know what I mean? True. I don't know, they don't put you in a psych ward. They just kick you out and say, have fun. But... Still, it's it's sketchy for sure to be yeah the person that's. I feel like if a military person says that they see something wild when they're in, like while they're still in service, I kind of take it a little bit more seriously. Yeah, because like there's less reason for them to lie. Like lying does anything, not help them. There's more of a reason for them to lie about not seeing it. Exactly because they don't want to be marked as crazy or, like, just some weird shit happening. discharged or some shit. Yeah. 
Exactly, exactly. So the lieutenant saw like two orange lights rotating around a common center. Said it looked like two jet aircrafts making slow rolls in a tight formation. And it appeared that there was a reddish-orange ball of fire about a foot in diameter traveling at a high rate of speed. To all three of them, it appeared to be a pulsating orange-yellow projectile-shaped flame with regular periods of pulsation on and off for like three to five seconds. And so to me, that kind of sounds like planes that exist today. Yeah. Like that would be like something that you could just see randomly with like the jet engines that they have. But back in, like, the 1950s, planes did not operate like that, and they didn't have, like, that much sophistication. The final comment on the encounter reads that, in view of the fact that no weather balloons were known to be released within a reasonable time before the sightings, it appears that the object or objects were not balloons. If not balloons, the objects must be regarded as phenomena instead of possibly meteorites, the exact nature of which could not be determined by this office. So they're just like, we have no idea what the fuck is going on. We can't really help you. Like, And they're like, it's definitely not meteorites, though. Exactly. And it's just like, it's not meteorites, but something fucking weird is going on for sure. Well, we're not going to say it's aliens. Of course not. Why would they say it's aliens? That would be giving, that would make you crazy. It's like, ah, gotta be the meteors. The meteorite theory for this series of encounters is particularly puzzling as it goes without saying that meteorites don't stay in sight for an estimated 30 seconds and they don't close in on military aircraft in threatening gestures. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They don't chase us. (laughs) Exactly. And it says, and they do not appear as two orange lights are rotating around a common center. So they're just like, ah, I have no idea what the fuck is going on. Must be meteorites. And they just kind of gave up at that. It says, in other words, it's safe to include that the genuinely anonymous, uh, anonymous, weird <laughs> phenomena were indeed witnessed by <laughs> experienced military personnel in the 1950. It says, does this prove that there really is an alien base within Alaska's Mount Hayes, as Pat Price suggested? No. Absolutely. Of course not. But it's like, with that kind of shit happening, you know, it might just be a little bit of, take a little bit of a closer look at what's going on. Yeah. Well, I mean, they can say all they want, um, but aliens are real, and the government's behind it. Exactly, exactly. So, I think that's where I'm going to end it for the Alaskan Triangle. There are more parts that I can go over on theories for this, yeah. but we're already at a lot we're, of time. Yeah, we're already extra here. long episode for this next one, um, but I think it's fine because it's definitely an interesting one. It's full of aliens. Exactly. That's the last of the aliens part from my end. Thanks for listening. Uh, this has been The Weird and Suspicious. I don't know. That's weird. That's suspicious. You can go and follow our socials, the weird and suspicious at gmail. Nope. Um, you can email us at the weird and suspicious at gmail.com. Our Instagram is the weird and suspicious. Our Twitter is the weird and sus. Um, you can follow my Instagram, Kirsten Rose 19. Kyla should just start 
Um, I'm trying to convince her to make TikToks of her drunk adventures. So if she starts that, we'll share it. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, Amazing. Yeah. Have a good night. Have a good night. Buenas noches.